This is Inglorious Trexpert, Darren Docterman. And from me and everybody at the Trexperts, we wish you a lovely holiday season and hope that you have time to spend it with your friends and family and with our wonderful swag from our various websites and our sister podcasts, Inglorious Trexperts and 430 Movie. At the Inglorious Trexperts site, that's ingloriousTrexperts.com, you can find a whole bunch of swag with our Trexperts logos and famous uh, quotes from the show and T-shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies and spatulas. No, there's no spatulas. But uh, you can get tote bags and uh, coffee mugs, all that sort of swag that uh, you've come to uh, expect from a high-quality podcast. So take a look on ingloriousTrexperts.com and also look at 430movie.com. That's 430movie.com. Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, a podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Most of the time, the movies you're trying to make don't get made. Like, four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may yeah. happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling like Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Sadly, the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away oh. overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. If you felt a great disturbance in the Force, you're not wrong. My new book, Secrets of the Force, is now available in hardcover, digital, and audio from St. Martin's Press. And check out my other great oral histories with Ed Gross of Star Trek, The 50-Year Mission. So say we all, the complete oral history of Battlestar Galactica. And nobody does it better, the complete oral history of James Bond and Spymania. All available in hardcover, paperback, digital, and audio wherever you buy your books. Welcome to the Cartoon Bar Room. I'm your host, Steve Melching. With me, as always, is my co-host, Ashley. Ashley. I started drinking a little early today. Ashley Edward Miller. Hey, Ashley, what's happening? Uh, well, first of all, before we do anything on this podcast, I'm going to call medical personnel to, uh, to, and send them to your house to make sure you haven't had a stroke. My question <laughs> to you is, do you smell toast? And not because you're eating it uh, with your uh, with your booze tonight. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> or ladies and gentlemen, my co-host Benicio del Toro. <laughs> Give me the keys, you. <laughs> yeah, we're a little punchy today here in the bar room. We are. We're punchy. It's been a long day, longer for some of us than others. You know. They're they're all long days. They're all long days. No, it's uh, it's good. It's like why not why not begin a show with a, a little bit of levity, a little bit of mirth, right? A little joie de vivre. Not not enough not enough not enough not enough mirth in the world. There's not enough mirth in the world, uh, which I think is a song or something. Um, but I yeah, man. Said not not enough mirth in the world, which made me think of RoboCop, or might make you think of Mork and Mindy. Right? Uh, so there you go. Um, All right. Right. So there we go. How did I, how the hell we ended up here? 
but we did. We're here. I'm going to pull over. I'm going to ask for directions. Um, my big plan was uh, I, I was going to start off just by by talking about uh, a uh, something that we haven't really talked about on this show yet, um, which is a, a particular species of animation um, that uh, that kind of goes beyond just you know it goes beyond the distinction between hand drawn and and 3D CG. Um, or you know, people doing reference and rotoscoping, but uh, but gets to uh, motion capture. It gets to um, animation via like taking human beings, putting them in embarrassing leotards covered in balls, <laughs> and shooting the balls. I'm not sure if I said that right. I'm not sure it matters. All I know is there are a lot of balls, and when I think. Of, you know, there's nothing about this intro that's any good. No. There's nothing about this intro. <laughs> but I mean, but we do need to introduce a person who can talk to us about the about the the things, the things, the green. But our guest can talk to us about a lot of things. A because lot of things. He is. He is. I'm so excited to talk to our guest today because he's done so much varied work. That it's just fascinating. He is an actor, a stuntman, a fight and stunt coordinator, a dancer, a martial artist, a voice actor, and a motion capture artist for film, TV, and games. A dessert topping talking and floor wax. <laughs> and I'm talking, of course, of TJ Storm. Welcome to the bar room, TJ. Oh, my Whoa, God. You what's did. happening? No, no, God. No. Oh, stop. Okay, now I'm having the stroke. Off in the pepper. <laughs> <laughs> DJ has just put on a, a snap filter and changed himself into a. Uh, I don't know what it is, but <laughs> oh, I'm not a cat. That's oh my god! Like this is going to take the video version of this episode to a whole new level. Tune in to the video version. You don't want to miss it. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Can we just? <laughs> I think he's hypnotizing us. <laughs> you know, usually the first question on this show is, what are you drinking? But I think tonight the proper question is, what are you smoking? <laughs> and should you be? <laughs> I'm not sure I'm not smoking. I'm okay. Sure. Oh, he's back. He's back. There he is. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome. 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 Bienvenue. Bienvenue. Étranger, stranger. Glücklich zu sehen. Je suis enchanté. Happy to see you. Perfect. Life is a cabaret here in the bar room. What are you drinking, Ashley? Oh, Jesus. Not nearly enough, as it turns out. I'm having my old standby. The Grey Goose Martini. Ooh. Very dry, very dirty, served with three, count them, three. One, two, three, un, deux, trois. Blue cheese olives. More appropriately pronounced blue cheese olives. Cheers. Blaukäse. Blaukäse. Yeah. Choice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I am enjoying my, my usual uh, Kettle Van uh, screwdriver. Excellent. As you can see, it's a large. It's a, it's a, it's a large. 
Sehr gut, yeah. yeah. It's a big drink for a big show. <laughs> so what, what, DJ, what, what do you got? You got you got anything over there? You drinking anything? I am prepared. Oh, yeah. I have root beer. <laughs> ah, the beer of the root. <laughs> Fermented in the belly of a... Donkey, mare, something. Treant juice. Treant juice. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't sound good at all. Right? It's like, that's that's a deleted scene from Lord of the Rings you just don't want to see. The Ents take a very long time to do everything. And you just keep cutting back to them as like the hobbits are waiting. Well, like, the ants are just, like, all just sort of gathered around, taking a whiz, and just, okay, yeah. So that's why they missed the fight. A long, foamy whiz. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of like animation, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Evacuation complete. <laughs> I almost had a uh, spit take, a very cartoony spit take happen over here. Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> what the hell is this show again? Oh my god. Cartoon Barroom, TJ, rescue us, buddy. Um you are as as you know, your your resume nearly speaks for itself. Um, you are an incredibly accomplished, uh broadly talented performer who's, you know, uh been a lot of places and done a lot of things. Um and uh, that's one of the things we love to talk about most on this show um, is it, we love to know about your process. You know, we love to know about like all the cool stuff that you've got to do and we love to geek out. But mainly what we want to know is of all of the amazing things you have done in your career. Now, you are a bona fide geek. We happen to know this. This is a fact. This is true. And we all know deep down in our geeky hearts, no matter what geeky things we work on, there's always that thing that we've worked on that we're like, yeah, at the end of the day, like that was the shit. There is none higher. Even if there are great jobs otherwise, of all of the many and varied things you have done in your career, what is the thing that as a geek makes you glad to be alive? Dude, that is a good question. But for a geek, I mean, can you? Okay, so first I'm working as whoever it is in whatever video game. I get to be video game heroes and villains often. And I get to voice them as well as be them. I get to move as them and then create the character physically uh, in the world of performance capture. That's cool by itself, all the video game stuff. Then you get a chance to be... Colossus and Deadpool. And right. and I'm like, oh, wow. This life will not get any better. And then I get to be Iron Man in Captain America's Civil War. I get to wear the armor uh, via the magic of motion capture. And that is freaking amazing. Then I'm Baby Groot. Then I'm Teenage Groot. Then I get to be Darth Vader at ILM. And then Godzilla. I... My head has exploded so many times from these kind of opportunities that I don't, I, you get numb. You're just like, this is cool. 
I think you're the only person that has played Godzilla, Darth Vader, and the Predator. And the Predator. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm super fortunate, and it is unreal. But you know what? I mean, I think part of it is the people that hire me, I, I, they, they sense that I actually love it. I mean, yeah. me, when I'm watching, say, Marvel movies, I knew that whoever made, I didn't know who, who shot it uh, at the time, but when I was watching Iron Man, I was like, whoever did this knows this. They feel yeah. this. And of course, that was John Favreau and his team. And it's because he loves that material. He loves the genre. He gets it. Uh, I've watched other things where the director took the job and they're like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I was like, eh. and they missed the mark and, and you feel it. When you're, when you love that genre, like we do, uh, you, 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 you can feel that the people who made it didn't all love it. And I've been on those sets where I ask a question like, okay, so this, I'm an alien. Uh, do I breathe air or am I radioactive? And th when the response is this, it's a bad sign. Whatever, it's just a movie. When I hear that, when I hear, yeah. I hear it sometimes. When I hear that, I'm like, hmm, that's sad. Because I love that stuff. I absolutely love being a part of those worlds and making those kind of worlds come alive. So uh, every, every freaking time I get to be a, a character, uh, even when it's a smaller character, I want to bring it to life. But I'm super honored and excited to play these larger-than-life characters that we all know and love as well. Well, yeah, so so if it, it, it sounds like Godzilla, it was something of a pinnacle for you. Were you a Godzilla fan growing up? Now, I know we both grew up in Hawaii. Did you make sandcastles on the beach and pretend to be Godzilla and smash them when you were every, a kid? Every seven-year-old does that. That is, that <laughs> is what is done. You, you, you find sand. If you're in the middle of the Midwest, you find sand, and you do that. That's yeah. That's necessary. But when I was really, really young, my father took me to the very first movie I ever saw in a the movie theater. And that movie was Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. And Ugh. I never forgot it. The Japanese name is Hedora and Godzilla versus Hedora. And it was, first off, it was like a late 60s, kind of 70s movie. So it was kind of psychedelic and really intense for probably somebody who was probably too young to understand it at the time, but when the small monster flew over the city, everybody that it flew over died immediately. They became skeletal, if I remember correctly. And I was like, <gasps> I didn't know that that couldn't happen. And then I was terrified by that ugly monster. And then Godzilla came and I'm like, yeah, kick his ass, kick his ass. <laughs> and they fought and eventually he won. And I thought that was the most, and remember, this is the first time I've ever seen a giant image on a screen and it was burned into my brain. And I was like, yes! And it was amazing. So, so yeah, that, it was a huge deal. And then the comeback for uh, King of the Monsters was super dope. That was, oh. so tell us about the first time that you got to be Godzilla. Right? Like, I mean, first of all, what did little you, like, think of that? Oh, and yeah, just... no, I remember it might, a couple of weeks before, uh, a friend of mine uh, called, and he's like, dude, can you give me some uh, creature actors? And I'm like, yeah, totally. And I was working on a ton of stuff, uh, so I, I, I happily gave him the names of some of the people that can do creature performance, which is a very specialized kind of acting. And 
he's like, okay, cool. Thanks. So uh, he calls me two weeks later. He's like, dude, can you come in and uh, let's work on some creature stuff? Now, in my head, I had thought that he called the actors or, or he got somebody that he wanted, but he wanted me to work on their movement and help them find the character. So I'm like, yeah, I'll see you. So got there in the morning. It was in um, like Reseda or somewhere. We were shooting on a stage uh, in Reseda and I got to the stage and it was me and two other guys. And he turned around and he goes, all right, you're Mudo number one, you're Mudo number two, and you're Godzilla. And he pointed at me and I was like, <laughs> go. At that moment, the two me's split. The little kid me inside is like, yes! Yeah! In your face! Yeah! And the adult professional me is like, what is Godzilla's motivation? Yeah. Does Godzilla breathe air? <laughs> yes. And that's it. immediately I started with the questions. I was like, all right, uh, what do you want to see from him? And how tall is he this time? Because yeah. all of those things count. And uh, the where I put the weight, how fast am I going to move? I started building the character, but my brain was going, oh, my God. And everything in our business is super top secret. Uh, when we're working on something, we can never talk about it until after it comes out, or at least when it's been announced. So I have all of this, and I couldn't tell anybody for like a year. It was awesome, but <laughs> so this was was this the 2014 Godzilla, or was this King of the Monsters? Okay, yeah. so I have to tell you a story. So about like your because I just I totally resonate to your story about being a little kid and kind of seeing that big ass like Godzilla for the first time. Uh, so this is a story about being one of the worst parents of all time. Uh, so when my twins were born, it was though my wife and I did a, a social engineering experiment and, um, she would take one of the twins, like every night, read, read the boy a story and everything was like, oh good, I'm your mommy and here's a story. And then there's Otis and he's the big red truck. Me, I've got the other kid, got a bottle. I'm like, all right, man, daddy's watching Exorcist, right? Or daddy's <laughs> watching whatever. One of the things that we watched was Godzilla 2014. So I have to tell you. So when Godzilla makes his first appearance, I have this kid, he's sitting in my lap and he's watching. Right? He's watching, bouncing, kind of watching. And, you know, everybody's sitting on the train and it's... Right? <laughs> and like, he sort of sits up a little bit. And then Godzilla kind of goes past the train and like comes up and like turns his head and looks in the train. <laughs> and my infant son is sitting like this and he goes. Like that. Like it, like he had to turn and look at me with these big eyes like, did you see the size of that? Fucking <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, man. I saw it. <laughs> that's the magic of those movies, man. That, yeah. I, that's what I absolutely love. I, you know, I, if, I love going to the movies. It's one of my favorite things in the entire world. I love going to the movie theater and being in the movie theater. And I got to get there early because A, I got to have a seat somewhere in the middle, not too close and not too far. And B, I got to get there before the trailers start because I mm -hmm. love trailers more than anything. 
if a trailer's done well, it gets you so excited. It can be better than the movie a lot of the time. Yeah. I'm like, yes! And I, I, want, <laughs> I want that excitement. I love that. And that's the magic. That. I love feeling that. I allow the child to take over as soon as the lights go down. I'm like, stop talking. Stop talking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And there's something in particular about the, the kaiju movies, and the giant, especially to kids. Like I remember watching... I, one of the first ones I have clear memory of watching was King Kong versus Godzilla uh, on TV and uh, seeing some of that stuff. And, and and the original King Kong, the scene when that always scared the hell out of me was when the guys are, are crossing that deep gorge over that tree and God's, and uh, King Kong picks up one end of it and is shaking it and they're falling down into the thing. and That's friggin' horrifying. But But there's something about these Godzilla movies with their combination of the craziest giant monsters you've ever seen. And some of them are like robotic, have multiple heads, you know, smog monsters, giant moths. I mean, it's just incredible. Do you have any favorite Godzilla movies uh, that you remember from being a kid? Um, I, I, the, the thing that I am kind of in awe of uh, is the work of uh, Haruo Nakajima-san. He was the first suit actor of uh, Godzilla, and he did the first 12 uh, Godzilla movies in the suit, and he was also uh, Rodan. He, he climbed into all of the suits at some point uh, and did a lot of the work. His work was amazing. He, he and that team of special effects, uh, makeup artists, and production team, they changed the way we make films. Uh, they wanted to do Godzilla as uh, uh, stop motion animation, but they we're like, uh, let's try something else. Let's see if we can make it work. And they're like, are you sure? Because Kong was stop motion and we want to be like Kong. And they're like, I think we can come up with something. So it was just after the war. They did not have access to the kind of materials that would have made it easy to make a suit. So they made it out of concrete and tire rubber, I think, or something like that. The suit weighed Jesus. 200 pounds. Uh, you would get heat boils uh, and and there was no air in there. So it was horribly terrible work, but he made it come to life. I just, it was just uh, November 3rd was the 67th birthday of Godzilla. And we went to a showing of the original Godzilla. They made it a 4K version uh, here in LA. They showed it and wow. And it's intense because it tells the story of uh, the force of nature that comes and destroys the country, which they were still, they were just out of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So they were telling that story through the life of Godzilla, something that you could not control. It came, it walked through your city and left ashes. And that they, that's the retelling of that. And it's so powerful. Uh, we tell a different story. Now he's sometimes a hero, sometimes a force of nature, but, but that first version of the story, which was Haruo Nakajima in the suit, that was amazing and very powerful. You know what I find, by the way, weirdly enough, the first movie I ever showed my 12-year-old when he was a baby was the what? original Godzilla. But I don't know why this keeps happening. But um, the, <laughs> the, the thing that I wanted to say about the, about the original Godzilla that I find fascinating, this is sort of a cultural observation, is how in a lot of ways, to me, when I watch Godzilla, I say, oh, okay, that is actually like a core um, cultural myth of Japan in the sense that like, what I mean by that is not like 
like somehow Godzilla figures into the, you know, into, into cultural mythology. What I mean is that the history of Japan, right? When you look at its relationship with nature, volcanoes, earthquakes, tsunami, again and again, nature rises up and does its level effing best to destroy the island of Japan. Does a pretty good job. But in the end, Japanese know-how and a sense of community dedication brings everybody back together uh, to recover from the ravages of nature and restore order. Uh, that is beautiful. I love that. Thank I think you. that is awesome. And they also respect nature uh, and revere it in that uh, the Mongols attacked Japan at one time uh, and there was the Mongol horde. And the Japanese, the island of Japan was terrified because everybody knew that you could not stop uh, the Mongol force and they were coming. They jumped on the ships, they started coming and kaboom, a massive hurricane sank most of the Mongol horde. And uh, Thanks they, Godzilla. And the word for that, uh, the word for wind of that nature is kaze, uh, and they called it the god wind. Uh, the word for god or spirit is kami. So they called it the kamikaze. And the kamikaze was a force that stopped the enemy. And they continue to use that name for their most revered and honored uh, fighters eventually, uh, years later, uh, decades later. But the kamikaze is another force uh, that they had to come to terms with. This time it came to their aid. So right. you're onto something. I think that in that culture, they're like, pay attention to nature. Uh, sometimes it's against you, sometimes it's with you, but you cannot deny it. Right. That's right. cool. Yeah, and, and, and to circle back to, to Godzilla in this context, um, there's something about the suit, that tangibility, that direct interaction with a set and the special effects that adds a certain humanity to the character that wouldn't have been present in stop motion. And then that's something that carries through to the work that you've done in motion capture. Did you study, uh, aside from just your, your viewing as a fan, did you go back and study any of those early films for inspiration when you were playing the character? Or did you need to make it your own because the scale is different, the context is different, the style of the film is different? I. I mean, you you guys are are great writers because you love these genres and you can easily reach into your memory and be like, I could I could use a little bit of this and a little bit of that because I understand this genre. I don't have to. You you don't need to research it. You don't need to go back and look at it because you know it. You've probably read several books several times, several comics several times, and watched several shows several times. I'm very similar. I've watched all of the monster movies because I love them and. Uh, so when they said, okay, we're, we're doing Godzilla, I had all of these images flash in my head immediately. I, I knew, I'm, okay, he's heavy. He's got to move slow. Otherwise, it's going to be wrong, wrong speed for that size and still a keystone copy. So I want to give it weight. But what do you need and what do you expect? And how do we make it uh, stay in the world that we expect? But work in a world that you guys are creating now because I have to respect both the past and their their vision. So 
I wanted to uh, find a way to make that happen as best as I possibly could. So to answer your question, it is both. Uh, with their help, I was like, I remember one of the first things I said was, all right, let's start. And I was like this. And they're like, oh, no, he's, he doesn't have T-Rex arms. This was the studio giving information. Uh, give him arms. I'm like, does he have shoulders? Like, oh, yeah. Because they didn't have a version for me to see yet. They were mm. building it as I was performing. So I, they didn't have something for me to look at. So we built it there. I was like, all right, how do you like that? And I, I rolled forward and like, that's nice. Try, give us that walk. And we started going. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we like the next way. So he's got some length here, and but he's still got the weight. And we built it a little bit at a time with everybody's input. Uh, it was fun to make such a legendary creature come alive. Legendary. You see what I legendary. mean? Legendary. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized what we should entitle this episode of Cartoon Barroom. Man in parenthetical mocap suit, right? <laughs> That's always, you know, the cry. Like, you know, when like the fanboys are always like, man in suit, man, man in, in suit. suit. Uh, yeah. The truth is, TJ, you were a man in the suit. You were just in a very a different kind suit. of suit, a digital well, suit. This is a question I have though. Did they give you any kind of a prosthetic tail or anything so that you had that counterbalance or that awareness of that appendage when you were doing your, your performance? For the first one, uh, we were shooting and we got to like the second or the third fight. And uh, the stunt coordinator, uh, Garrett Warren, he was like, okay, we need another uh, way. Let's think of ways of killing this guy. And I was like, well, we've punched each other, clawed each other, blew fire, bitten. What happens if I tail slap them? And they're like, what's that look like? Was, well, let's do it. And I turned around and went, war. And they're like, all right, let's build a tail. I'm like, okay. So they went and got a big piece of foam. There was a big square of foam and they cut a tri triangle out of it. Uh, so the thick end was against my tailbone and then the, it got thinner and thinner as it went to the floor. And I ran out to my car and I do karate. So I had my karate gi in the car and my belt was in the, in, in, the, in the car. So I pulled my belt out and we tied it through the phone. We tied it to my, to me. And I walked around with my karate belt holding on to the foam tail that we made. And we shot the turn and slam. And the, the actor, uh, he stood, he charged me and I stepped to the side and I, and I slammed him. And he was playing the Mudo and he went, and he fell into a bunch of cardboard boxes. And then they made it, they animated it to look awesome. Amazing. So you bring, you brought up something else interesting there. Let's, let's rewind the clock a little bit. Let's rewind it a lot, actually. So you're growing up and you're, you're gaining skills as a kid yeah. that will come into play years later. You have probably no idea. Let's talk a little bit about the kinds of things that were in your toolbox today because you had trained in them as a kid and how important is that to any of our listeners who might be aspiring motion capture artists? What are the kinds of things that they should study? Um, that is an interesting question. Um, well, first off, if there are any aspiring performance capture artists or motion capture artists, uh, we literally have a school to teach you uh, action acting. Uh, mm. It is um, 
school to learn motion capture performance and performance capture and action acting. We're called the Mind's Eye Tribe Action Actors Academy. You can find us online. But to answer your question, um, I, I remember when I was a little kid, we were playing in the yard with my, my two friends, uh, I think it was Glenn and Tammy. We were all five or six and we were running around in the yard. And for whatever reason, Glenn was really aggressive. So he'd always go. <laughs> I was like, okay, we're going to do that. And I was always, now I'm, I'm six foot two, but I grew really fast. So I was always the tallest kid among my friends. So he would shoot me and I would take the shots. I would slow down and then I would start to speed up after and I'd start to walk towards him. He just, ah, he would scream and run. And then Tammy, she got, she got the vision. She's like, oh my God, he just, he's not down. So they would run, they would turn around, they would shoot. I'd go boom, boom. And I would keep on. They, we were playing you, Terminator. You terminated him. You terminated him. <laughs> and this is long before Terminator ever yeah. came out. This is a long time before. We just made it up. It, nobody talked about it. It just happened. And eventually they would both be shooting me at the same time. And I would go down to a knee because I would see so much damage. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would drop, drop. And then they, they would run out of spit and breath. So they'd be like. <laughs> and, and then I would be like. <laughs> and I would stand up. And, like, and we would start all over again. And we would do this for hours for no particular reason. That is That plane. Just playing in the yard, which I don't know if kids still do yeah. anymore, but that was the beginning. I remember that very clearly, and it was the, one of the most fun, magical things that I ever got to do. I was a dancer later because I was not cool in school. I was tall and gangly and clumsy, and I played D&D, which was not cool yet. It, it was not was cool. Not cool. Uh, I, in fact, we played in the back of the chapel, and we usually did it on uh, days when they were doing the, uh, the, the preacher was up doing the sermon and I was like, all right, so you guys think you're being followed by orcs. And we'd be whispering to each other. <laughs> and they're like, all right, I'm going to circle back and get behind a tree. And I'd be like, okay, roll it 20 sided. And he had it in his pocket. So he would try to roll it quietly in the pew. One time he lost control. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh this way, you were, I, I, for a minute, I had, a, I had a vision that you were like backstage doing this. You know, you're out in the chapel itself, Fair in the pews. You're, you're in the sanctuary. All the other <laughs> high school kids. And we were bored out of our mind. I didn't know what he was talking about. It, it was a story, but our story was so much better. So <laughs> he dropped the dice and it hit the pew. And then a plastic piece of polyhedral shape just went. And we were all like, oh. and the teachers in the room, they all went, they looked at us because we, they knew, they knew it was us, but we were just like, not us. We just, so yeah, we, so I grew up playing D and D. It was not cool. I learned how to dance a little bit during break dancing time. And, uh, uh, I tried to get cooler by dancing and I got better. I got very, very good. And I got a chance to do uh, contests and stuff like that. And then my mom put me into karate because I was really, really clumsy. Uh, uh, the dancing that we did was like, sometimes I pretend to be a robot and I do all the <laughs> stuff. Uh, and, uh, or I'd be pretending I was made out of water and I'd be melting and stuff like that. And all of that imagination stuff 
I constantly use it now. In fact, it was because of that robotic stuff that I got hired for to be on Avatar. Uh, I was the the amp mech suit. suit. I was the mech suit, the amp suit they called it. And the general climbed into my chest, and I fought the hero at the end. I, I'm the one. I'm the machine that he's uh, fighting. So uh, these the, the skills gave you very precise body control. I mean, all that muscle memory, all that from your dancing and your martial arts gives you the ability to really precisely control all of your movement. You're a man with very particular skills. Skills that make you a nightmare to men. Well, I think also you probably have to have things like uh, like fencing training or firearms training or things like that when you're doing video games or other action things. Did you train in that sort of thing at all? Absolutely. I grew up doing karate. Uh, I, I'm, now I'm a professor of karate do. Uh, I'm a three black belt um, and I still teach. But uh, I've, I've gotten the chance to train with amazing senseis uh, who taught me sword work, both Eastern and Western uh, sword work. So I have gotten to do that. Uh, the Wushu swords and the Shaolin swords and all the fancy movement that you use with a lightsaber kind of thing. I, I do that as well as cleaner, more Western stuff. Um, and uh, as far as firearms, uh, when I started working on video games, uh, they would often bring a specialist in to teach me how to move like them. So mm. the first one was a army ranger and he took me for three days and he took me and showed me how they shoot. And that was specifically pistol training. Uh, the next one, I, sh I think it was in Japan. Uh, it was the, literally, it was the head of the police. And he came down and showed me their, their, the way they shoot and the way they operate firearms. Uh, in Montreal, I had a, uh, a special operations guy, a, a, a SEAL come in and teach me stuff. I was working on splinter cell. It was called a splinter cell, and I had to be good at something called CQB, uh, close quarter battle style. Uh, so it's urban warfare, so you have to be very you have to be very specific with the way you turn corners in a tight urban space. So they taught me that style, and then I kept on training when I could. Uh, so yes, I've gotten to be very fortunate, and that's the kind of stuff that we teach at the Mind's Eye Tribe Action Actors Academy. We now have classes dedicated to sword and the sword path. So if you want to learn how to be a theatrical swords person, come train, do the swords. We have a tactical master and he's both a veteran of the Marines and the army. Uh, and he's amazing. Uh, and he trained people uh, as well. And he, he worked in Af Afghanistan for a long time. So uh, if you're down for tactical, we do that. We do creature movement. And of course we do everything that goes with motion capture and performance capture. Oh, so wait, here's my question. All right. So first of all, I can imagine that like all of the sword training would be incredibly useful when playing, for example, Darth Vader. Now, there's a there's a lot of questions one could ask about playing Darth Vader, but I think I'm going to ask the question that uh, literally everybody listening to this podcast who is sitting in my office is asking themselves right now, which is who would win in a fight? Darth Vader or Godzilla? I contractually am not allowed to answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to ask when you're playing Darth Vader, do you do the breathing sound while you're playing Darth Vader? <laughs> do you know what? If you're fighting Godzilla, you do. Can I tell you, that is one of the, 
the things that I tell the students who come train with us, they think I'm joking. I am not. First, when I was Godzilla, the first day I spent every step I took, I went. Yeah. It makes it real for me. It makes it real. And, um, and then flash forward to uh, Jedi Fallen Order or, or, or uh, Vader Immortal, whatever we were working on at the time. Um, you, we, we did a fight scene and it was between uh, uh, two, two lightsaber wielding people. I don't know if it was Vader yet, but it was two other characters. And um, we did it. And it was like, and it, this was for the director and the entire team to watch so they knew how to set up for the shot. So we went three, two, one, go. <laughs> oh, we did all of that. It was like, oh, that's awesome. Okay, okay, we, we're ready. Let's shoot. And action. We did the we did the choreo. And they went cut. Um aren't you gonna do the sound? I was like, <laughs> no, I wanna. <laughs> You can see my face. Well, you, you want me to make that boom boom sound? Does that make sense to you? But it it makes it so real. It makes it so alive. And when I did Vader, I enter a scene, and I am not gonna miss the opportunity. And I got a helmet. Look, look. Yeah. Oh, there it is. I see it. I see yeah. it on top of the, on top of the goddamn refrigerator. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I got a helmet. When I was at ILM, I went down to the ILM store and there was the helmet. And I was downstairs playing Vader. So I'm like, I need that. And the lady was like, that's the display. I'm like, I need that. (laughs) I grabbed it and I ran. And don't think that I did not do the scene with that on my head. And I walked into the scene. I'm I couldn't see it, but I don't care. I had a blast, and it was awesome. I was pouring sweat, but it was awesome. So that's so funny because I remember hearing a story years ago. I think you and McGregor talked about playing Obi Wan Kenobi in the prequels, and his first day with the lightsaber, he was doing the yes while he was doing the scene. And George is like, uh, "We put that in in post." <laughs> it's, the it's the best. <laughs> it is really awesome. It makes it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. So when when you did Darth Vader, uh, had you did you study uh, David Prowse's uh, movements from uh, from his films to kind of get because Vader has a very particular movement style that uh, that is not always captured in in uh, in media outside of the films. I went out of my way to not only watch all the Star Wars, especially the the David Prowse bits. But, um, and I wanted to watch the entire movie because I wanted to understand it in context with everything else because sometimes that gives you more. I went and I watched uh, shows about Prowse himself. I did not know about him, but he was like a bodybuilder and a serious mm-hmm. athlete and pretty mm-hmm. hardcore. Uh, so I wanted to get, I noticed he was a pretty tall dude. Um, and I think that that played into his walk. Oftentimes, uh, especially muscular guys, they're carrying so much weight that their knees start to get achy. Uh, and I think you get a little bit of that when he walks because you can see the startup. You can see the... 
So when he, he starts, he'll he'll bend his knees and then he'll start to walk. And I was like, okay, I need that. And his helmet and his shoulder pads, because that was a real suit, he couldn't turn his head without bumping right. his helmet and popping it off. So when he turns, it was he would open right. his shoulder. And, and mm. so I wanted to capture all of those things and try to stay true to those things because I would want to see that myself. I know that I would, if I saw Vader go, yeah. yeah. So the super important, then that's a great question. But yes, I, the, those things are super important to me as somebody who loves those genres. So I, I would assume that I, I don't want to steal that from anybody else either. I want to give them the full event. Well, you can tell when, when people get it right. I remember on Star Wars Rebels, we had Darth Vader make a few appearances and Dave Filoni uh, studied Dave Prowse's movements. And you can tell, like, there's a shot where Vader, like, turns to exit a room and he got that Prowse turn with the flap of the cape and everything. Like, wow, that's Prowse. He nailed it. It wasn't just some keyframed, you know, animated thing. He really went the extra mile to, to make it look like Prowse. Absolutely. When one of the... Uh the animation team at ILM, they saw me turn a particular way. Now, remember, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing pajamas with balls on them. So it does not do that when I'm doing this. Uh, you get a sense of the movement, but I do not look anything like Vader. You can see him on the screen, but the screen version is a low-res ver- version, and he doesn't, have a, he doesn't have a cape yet. So yeah. I would do a particular turn, and... Uh, when I did the turn, I I paused for a second. I went like that. And they're like, well, are you pausing? Why are you doing that, that tilted pause thing? And I'm like, because the cape, it's going to take time for the cape to get around. And then when I take my step, it's going to billow out. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, because they can't see it. But I'm imagining it in my head because when Vader leaves, somehow he always gets the perfect cape wind. And I was like, yeah, that. So... <laughs> Later, when they add the cape, it's, and it's going to have physics on the cape, I wanted to, to give it the chance to be able to do that. So, And also, the cape hides my wobbling. It All you're going to see is me turn my shoulders and then start to walk as the cape expands. And I wanted to give them that experience. That's smart. That's very smart acting. It's um, fun. And it's it. the kind of thing that, you know, you, you want your actors to show up having thought about, right? I mean, as, as, as much as it's, obviously, you, you want to be able to ask questions like, do I breathe air and like get a better answer than it's, it's just the movie man. Um, by the same token, it's always great when your actors show up with answers of their own because yeah. damn, sometimes just somebody who spends all their time doing nothing but thinking about being inside that specific character and like, and what they do in that scene is just invaluable. That's awesome. Yeah. It's great. You know, speaking as a writer, you know, and producer, you've got, you know, you're thinking about all the characters and all the stories. And it's so great to have someone who's able to focus narrowly down onto one performance and really think about it. And I, I see that in, you know, in designs, you know, I, I just write something like, oh, they, they put handcuffs on the character. And I don't even give it a second thought what the handcuffs look like. And then months later, I see designs. I'm like, wow, these artists put a lot of thought into what these handcuffs would look like. And it's really impressive. I, I love, I love seeing all the, the other people that come down the line. Just it's a, so it's additive. It's collaborative. Absolutely. It's really great. And I, 
for that matter, while you while you mentioned it, um, I want to definitely shout out to all the artists who, for, I mean, aside from the credits that shoot by your face and as you go to the next episode, they're pretty much unsung and they work long hours just digging into their creativity and putting it on a screen or on a, on a paper. Shout out to all those artists who do so much amazing stuff. I mean, I get a lot of credit for doing these characters, but they are spending 10 times the amount of time on that character that I did. So I go in, I do my thing, but in the post process, there's an entire team doing the lighting, doing the texturing, mm. fixing the model before I get there and after I get there. So huge thanks and huge shout out to all of the artists that make us come alive on the screen. And thank you for making things like the Avengers and even the Thundercats. Thank you for bringing all of those things to life. So yeah. like, yeah. Also, is the X-Men got a new cartoon coming out? Mm-hmm. X-Men seven. X-Men 97, it's a, I'm not involved in it. Uh, I wrote a bunch of episodes of the original X-Men show. Really? my first job. My first job in animation, I wrote with my partner, Dave McDermott. We wrote like eight or nine episodes of the original X-Men animated series. That was and, my favorite. That was my favorite. I had that song on my workout mix and I would be doing my normal workout and then I would hear this thump, thump, thump. I'm like, Oh, and let me tell you, as uh, I think I was 25 when I got my first, uh, that was my very first job writing an animation. I, I, I don't know how I kind of started at the top because yes. that was the number one show on TV. And I was a fan of the X-Men <laughs> going back to the early eighties, reading the comics. So getting to, getting a chance to, to write it, or the first show we pitched, the first story we pitched, was uh, kind of an adaptation of our favorite miniseries, Long Shot, because we always loved Long Shot and Mojo and all that. Yeah. So we pitched a Long Shot story. And, and we ended up writing a bunch of episodes. And, you know, it was an iconic series thanks to, you know, the Lee Walds and, and Larry Houston and, and a, a great voice cast and everything. The Lee Walds yeah, who appeared on this show. That's right. The Lee Walds have been on the show. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's an iconic series that I'm so thankful to have been a part of, and now they've revived it, and the Leewalds are consulting uh, on the new show, apparently, along with Larry Houston, and uh, apparently, from press reports, it picks up where the original series left off. Yes, so, I am so we'll excited. It's awesome. I love that. Yeah. That's amazing. I am also very, very excited to see it. Um, it's just... You know, it's not very often that you see a show like that get a second life in in that very specific way, right? That it's that they're very specifically calling back to that time and that era of the X Men. It's not just kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like the X Men. No, it's not. It is like it is the X Men. It is the X Men from the night. Well, let's amazing. let's talk about this a little bit. So. Uh, this is an animation podcast. What are some of the cartoons that you loved growing up? Did, did you watch cartoons growing up? And, and what were some of your favorites? The first ones that I watched regularly were uh, Looney Tunes. I watched Bugs yes. Bunny and Roadrunner, and and I loved those. And the frog that would sing, and I, oh, my baby, I loved all <laughs> Michigan J. Frog. Michigan yes. J. Frog, yes. yes. And I, I, I absolutely love Those are my favorites. I love them, and... Uh, they were violent and they existed on several levels, but I absolutely loved it. It was so smart. I didn't realize this morning I was a kid, but but my mom would laugh. And I was like, 
one. Oh, wow. That, yeah, I was like, this one might be good. Uh, so, because she didn't do that with Sesame Street. So, he, <laughs> I thought it was so cool. I, I love that. And then later, uh, of course, fla- flash forward to uh, Thundercats. I absolutely love that. Um, and Thunder, Thunder, Thundercats, Thundercats. Oh! Who you calling a hoe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you guys' favorites growing up? Oh my God, man. Well, look. We, we did a whole show about one of our favorites, Star Blazers. What is Star Blazers? Holy shit! Oh my god, what we have to, Star we have to end this show. Wait, I gotta look it or, up. No, 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 no. We don't want to end the show. We need Space, to evangelize right now. Space, Space Battleship, Battleship Yamato. And you know, by the way, just yesterday I watched Tim Eldred, who was a guest on the show earlier. He made a whole doc, feature-length documentary about Star Blazers or Space Battleship Yamato, and I watched it, and it's terrific. It's, avail- it's uh, available now on, on uh, Amazon. And there was but, a remake, uh, you know, uh, Space Battleship Yam- Yamato uh, 2099, then 2202, and I think 2205. It's on its way this. out. So was you should check it out. Blazers? That's the American title. Yeah. Uh, Star Blazers. Star I live in Hawaii, and I yeah. might have seen it with a different name because I that, that, that ship is iconic. I remember yeah. that. And by the way, talk about a, a show. That is about everything gets destroyed through like ingenuity and community, right? Like you come back and you restore everything and you move on and you evolve, right? It's like Star Blazers is the same story as Godzilla, right? It's just that it's a it's a different form of destruction. It's a little bit like Ghostbusters. Choose the form, except it's not Steve Puff Marshmallow Man. Uh, but no, you'd love it. If you if you want to get introduced to it like in a way that is most accessible, uh, find Star Blazers twenty nine nine. Um, it's on Crunchyroll. I think it's like on iTunes. It's like and it's awesome. It is so worth your valuable time, especially for a man who, if I am reading this correctly, um, was uh, was involved with Berserk. Oh yeah, yeah. So like you're down with like the anime thing and all of that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That that is cool. I will start with that one. Thank you very much. So is that your only one or is there other? Oh, no, but, that's like, but that's the king. That's the king? Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, like you, I love the Looney Tunes. That was the anchor of my Saturday morning was watching the 90 minute Bugs Bunny Roadrunner yeah. show. I loved it. Uh, but I, I watched everything, but I always made time for Bugs Bunny. But I, I you know, it, later on, I, and I love the Super Friends yeah. because I liked the superheroes. And, you know, I watched the Planet of the Apes cartoon and the God, the Godzilla cartoon and the Star Trek animated series. We did an episode about the Star Trek animated series that. as well. But, you know, looking back on it, I feel like a bunch of the things that I loved most were uh, import anime. Like, I yeah. love Kimba, the White Lion, which Disney wildly ripped off uh, for The Lion King. Um, I loved Marine Boy, which almost nobody but me remembers, but it's, like, freaking awesome. Um, I loved all of that stuff, man. Like, oh, I, grew, I, I also grew up in Hawaii for a few years, so I watched uh, Rydeen uh, and some of the, the uh, Getter Robo G uh, and the original live-action incarnation of the Power Rangers, the Go Rangers, right. the original okay. Super Sentai. Which, by the way, things. That th- here's a fun fact about the original Power Rangers, right? Or the Go Rangers. The Yellow Ranger is a dude. So yeah. if you watch Power Rangers episodes very <laughs> carefully... <laughs> 
I mean, very curious. I mean, like Costner watching this Zapruder film. You're like, oh yeah, okay. There's some uh, to bring it back to the beginning. There's some uh, the balls on that costume too. <laughs> hey, yeah, there's a unit of balls. On it. It's like, wow, Power Rangers, who knew? <laughs> Um, so many things that were so good. Gigantor, he's bigger than big, he's stronger than strong. Um, the the King Kong cartoon I was a kid, he's you know six times as big as a man. Remember the Godzilla cartoon? And right? uh, up from, from the early stories. Hi. Hi. Yeah, <laughs> that guy, Thundercats, you named. Yeah, Thunder oh. the Barbarian. Yes, Ariel, Ukla, Ride. I mean, come on. <laughs> Is Thunder right. related to the Herculoids, or am I tripping out? Uh, no, it was the same animation studio, though. I think. No, okay. yeah, yes, it was. Um, the same with Black Star. Um, oh yeah, and Black, Black Star. Star was like uh, it's it's. Um, why am I blanking on who did this? We should do a whole episode about this, right? Because they also did uh, the the Flash Gordon. Well, Hanna Barbera did some of them, but then there's yeah, the, uh, was it uh, not Nelvana? Sun, <sighs> sun, 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 something. Yeah, something, 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 something. But the Flash Gordon cartoon, like, yeah, I remember I loved that. all that stuff, man. I, I loved the Tarzan cartoon too. It was a Tarzan yeah, cartoon. Totally. They, they did a, they did a lot of rotoscope in those shows, which is, I guess, you mentioned it earlier. That's sort of a, a primitive precursor of motion capture, where Absolutely. you're filming an actor. And Disney, obviously, Walt Disney had done that decades earlier, and then uh, doing your animation based on a, a live action performance. Somebody. Well, I mean, he told me a, a story about the, the Herculoids that I guess the writer or somebody, he was from UCLA and he, they showed the art or something like that. And they're like, well, who is this one? And he wanted to put the fact that he was from UCLA. And it was Thunder. Thunder the Barbarian. Ukla. Ukla. Yeah, Thunder. Yes, yeah. Ukla. Ukla. Ukla the, yeah, Ukla the Mock. Was, I think that's yeah. freaking awesome. It is I, freaking I think awesome. That's true. I, I always thought that that might be the case, but that's true. That's actually where Ukla is. It's actually true. And if you go to USC, like, he'd be Usk. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's his nemesis. Right. Uh, Usk. He hates Usk. Usk. Usk, Usk has more money. Is bigger. Oh. Is also private. He's in Rose Bowl. <laughs> hey, that's my alma mater you're talking about. <laughs> hey, man. I love SC, but it's just kind of awesome. Yeah, oh, my God. So many good cartoons. You know, we should do a podcast about animation. About cartoons? Yeah, we should yeah, totally do a podcast idea. about cartoons. So are you are you as we as we start to wrap up this episode? Uh, are you watching any uh, animation these days? What kind of cartoons are you watching now, if any? I just uh, well, I, I play video games when I'm not running all over the place, and I uh, do play League of Legends. So I'm very happy about uh, uh, the enemy, uh, an animation called Arcane. It is yes. so cool. I'm having so much fun. And I think the new episodes just came out, so I can't wait to uh, drop into those and watch those. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm really enjoying Arcane. I think it's really, really cool. Uh, but there's so much cool stuff out there. There's so much cool stuff. Oh, I know. It's, it's, it's an embarrassment of riches, especially, you know, in a lot of ways, animation has grown up with our generation. Yeah. You know, it, it used to you be something that you, yeah, you watched it until you're maybe 11 or 12 years old. You start to get into junior high and high school and you stop watching cartoons. But now it's perfectly acceptable uh, to, to, to grow up 
and and continue loving animation and and more and more animation is being made for our generation whether it's something like arcane or you know rick and morty or you know the simpsons uh you know uh all kinds of dota dragon's blood yes dota <laughs> dragon's magic blood. the gathering magic the gathering magic. coming soon yeah. the, the eventual collection <laughs> so much good stuff and it, it, I saw a trailer. Uh, I went and saw, I guess it was The Eternals, and there was a trailer for mm-hmm. a movie called Clifford the Big Red Dog. And oh. that thing is animated, and it yeah. looks awesome. And I do not have any interest in the books so, of Clifford, but that looks freaking awesome. So when I was a kid, I loved those books. My wife yeah, yeah. took uh, my two idiot twins to see Clifford the Big Red Dog, and they loved it. Now, here's a fun fact about it. So Clifford the Big Red Dog was directed by Walt Becker, who directed, I don't know why I know all this shit, but he directed it because I do the 430 movie. <laughs> he directed like Wild Hogs and Old Dogs, and I guess now he did Big Red Dogs, but he also directed um, an actor, uh, and I think was his uh, his big screen debut, Ryan Reynolds, in the no classic way. National Lampoon's Van Wilder. Are you serious? Totally serious. There was a dog in that too, remember? It's bulls. I mean, they had to jerk off the bulldog to like to fill up the cream puffs. I mean, come on. You don't see that scene in Clifford the Big Red Dog. But if you do, points to Walt Becker. That is amazing. Oh my God. I you know, I used to love those books like, when I was a kid. I, I remember I remember my mom reading me those books as a kid, mm-hmm. Clifford the Big Red Dog back in the 70s. Me too. And I mean the, the line between there really isn't much of a line anymore between animation and live action. There are so many, you know, live action films that are, have a significant amount of their content is animated, whether it's like Star Wars movies or Lord of the Rings movies, where you've got character, entire characters that are, or, you know, Godzilla. I mean, you got entire characters that are completely computer animated. Right. Um, Definitions are certainly, you know, or the distinctions, I think, are certainly beginning to slip. Right. It's like, yeah, you say it's hybrid, but really you're already hybrid once you're into man in suit, or like doing mocap, doing whatever. Right. It's um, it's just the, the, the future seems very interesting. And I think particularly like from a, a cultural point of view, it's like you said, Steve, like we are, you know, we've we had our childhood and now we're kind of foisting it upon everybody. But our, our definition of what counts as animation for adults is is changing and expanding all the time which creates opportunities for people like us and people like TJ. Absolutely. And now <laughs> we have the metaverse coming. Oh, God. Right? I can't imagine it's, what that's going to be. <laughs> it's like the, the metaverse. It's like, wow, man. We're all, we're all plugging <laughs> into like, the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. so gonna be all the, we're all going to be in the Matrix. So, well, uh, thank you, TJ. This has been a really fun conversation. Uh, before we let you go, uh, I want to ask, is there uh, anything you want to plug, any projects coming up that you can tell us about or, or anything uh, current that you want to put in a word on? There's, there's so much cool stuff coming down uh, the, 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 the way, uh, but we can't talk about it yet because it hasn't been officially <laughs> announced. Yeah. But I, I will uh, mention that uh, I mentioned Haruo Nakajima, uh, the Godzilla suit actor, earlier. Um, the school that I, I put together with my friends, uh, it is called the Mind's Eye Tribe Action Actors Academy. We have uh, gotten a chance to offer a scholarship for people who want to learn 
what we do, and it is the Haruo Nakajima Scholarship. So if you're interested in learning how to become a performance capture artist, uh, a, mo- a mocap actor, um, go to the site at Minds Eye Tribe, just Google us, Minds Eye Tribe Action Actors Academy, and sign up for the scholarship. We'll have the application period opening soon, and we're going to choose somebody to get a scholarship and come train and learn everything. Uh, the way that I was lucky enough to be trained by my senseis and teachers and people who believed in me. So come join us. Awesome. Oh, that sounds great. Do, do you have a, uh, a social media that you want to uh, share with anyone? Can they follow you on Instagram or Twitter or anything? Yes, please. Uh, TJStorm01 at Twitter or uh, Storm Z E Y E Storms I uh, on Instagram. Uh, I am out there and it's easy to Google me and Find find out the places that I live on the internet. Oh, the places you'll go. <laughs> Fantastic. And thank you guys. This is fun and this is really cool. I love talking about this stuff and and uh, thanks for having a place for people to come and geek out and enjoy the stuff that we love. This is freaking awesome. So thank you guys. Well, it's our pleasure. We, we love to, yeah, we love to geek out and especially about weird, obscure things. And, and what you learn is no matter how weird, obscure it is, there are always plenty of other people that are into the same weird, obscure stuff you are. And that's it. how you like, you find your tribe. So it's yeah. about my social life. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Excuse me while I go put on my teddy bear suit. Oh. <laughs> Be right back. <laughs> I think you lost a couple of your balls. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again, TJ. On behalf of Ashley, I want to thank our sound engineers, Bill Ritter and Mark Rivera, our producer, Natalie Miscali, our co-producers, Peter Holmstrom and Zach Raggetts, and our video editor, Dylan Middlebrook. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing and rating us in the Apple Store. It really helps us spread the word to our other shows. (laughs) And TJ has turned back into a a light bulb-headed alien. Uh, You can also check out our sister shows, The 430 Movie, in which a group of industry professionals curate a fantasy theme week of classic movies, Inglorious Trexperts, the ultimate Star Trek podcast, and The Best Movies Never Made, about films that never saw the light of a projector bulb. You can watch all these podcasts and much more on the free Electric Now video streaming app downloaded today at your favorite app store. You can also follow all of these shows on Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So until next time, on behalf of the alien TJ Storm and Ashley Edward Miller, that's that's all, all, folks.
This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.